for listening to the Divine Nobodies podcast with Eric Ajna and Jennifer Lynn. If you enjoyed this episode, please like and subscribe so you never miss a show. If you're on Instagram, please follow us at Divine Nobodies Podcast and join our ever-growing community of lightworkers and spiritual visionaries. Together, we can raise the frequency of our planet and bring in a new era of awakening and understanding. Welcome to our tribe. And now your hosts, Eric Ajna and Jennifer Lynn. Oh, we're back. Thank you for tuning in to Divine Nobody's podcast. We are back, Jen. We're back. And in some ways, it almost feels like we never left. <laughs> I feel like it's one big, long podcast. Exactly. You know, a lot of people don't realize is that me and Jen, we actually never remove ourselves from our respective chairs. We just sit here all day long, all week until yeah. it's time to do another one. <laughs> we don't, when we comes down to eat, we got people that come and bring us food. We need to change. We've got those little like birds and Cinderella that just come and like hover around you and just like exactly Mm -hmm. magic wand yeah and they all whistle they got like their own little song yeah their own little jig yeah (laughs) yeah and so we're here we never left anyways thank you guys again for tuning in a really great episode kind of lined up we wanted to talk about something that we can all relate to at least you and i oh yeah and pretty much uh, most of the world which is why we enter into or actually why we stay in toxic relationships Mm. right that whole dynamic oh yeah you know love how it starts with Mm. <laughs> yeah, we all know what that's about. Yeah, but hey, a, old friend. <laughs> hey, old friend. Like on a serious note, you know, this is something um, of a serious thing, definitely, because we've all experienced our share of toxic relationships, mm-hmm. and it's so difficult um, to know how to move through them, especially when we're so tied to that person. Yeah, you know what I mean. Oh yeah, yeah. And I did a lot of research on this. I have a lot of experience in this. I'm a Libra, so it speaks to my planet, which is Venus. I just want everybody to get along, Jen. (laughs) You know, I want to get along with my partner. I want to get along with friends. And this doesn't even necessarily have to be non-platonic relationships. This could be with friends too, Mm -hmm. because, you know, we've all had our share of toxic friends as well. Oh my God. Yes. I I think I've had more toxic friends than toxic relationships. Yeah. Yeah. As an Aquarius, you know, I just, I'm friends with everyone. Right. And, you know. Yeah. And you are. You're definitely friends with everybody. And and that's something that I've always sort of strived to be, especially when I was younger, is just, I never really belonged to any specific particular group. I kind of just waffled along all the different um, stereotypes and found all of them interesting. But along the way, we run into those people and uh, they leave a very, very, very powerful imprint on mm-hmm. our hearts and our spirits. And yeah, the best place to start with this sort of thing, I think is um, in childhood right? So our yeah. childhood is the learning ground for a lot of how we see the world and a lot of how we approach our relationships with other people. Mm-hmm. And our parents are the perfect mirrors for us. And I thought about this the other day, like we spend upwards of around 18 to 20 years with our families, yeah, with our parents. It's crazy, right? Yeah, it's definitely crazy. But what comes along with that staying with family and being so close to them is the conditioning because up until that time, they're still acknowledging you as a child, mm-hmm. as their child. Yeah, And so they're influencing you with what they imagine to be, you know, uh, I guess a good upbringing. And it isn't always the happiest, most loving one, like thing, you know what I mean? So I think of, you know, even just the influence and conditioning of a couple of years of being in a toxic relationship, well, we're in this relationship with our parents. If it happens to be toxic for 18 to 20 years, yeah, and I find that, a lot of people will spend upwards of around another 20 
to 30 years in order to decondition ourselves oh, from that toxicity. Oh, 100%. Oh, man, yeah. I would, I would agree with that for sure. I had a really toxic relationship with my mother, yeah. and it took me a really, really long time before I could finally step away from that. Really? Oh, yeah. 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 It's crazy. And I'm at 36 years old, and I think a lot of people, uh, when they develop the emotional awareness to start asking the questions, I mean, that spiritual journey, like really, really hard dialed in, in my early to mid twenties. Mm -hmm. And even at 30 years old, there are still things that we're uncovering about our past and how we mm -hmm. grew up. And so that whole process of de deconditioning yourself from your childhood and essentially becoming your own person is a really sometimes arduous process, but it's, uh, I think what paves the way for this entire spiritual journey. No, I'd no. agree with that. So if you have a parent that is particularly toxic, let's just say an emotionally unavailable parent. So if we're talking about why we stay in toxic relationships, that is a really good place to start because um, the behavior that we sort of exemplify with our parents um, is a really strong indicator. Yeah. You know, so our parents are basically mirrors to us. And if we have emotionally unavailable parents, um, I think inherently and intrinsically human beings are good. We always want the best for somebody. Yeah. And we, it's in our, I guess, uh, in our hearts to always want to nurture and care for something. And there's this longing that we have for wanting to take care of and be a good person for our parents. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I, I agree with you that humans are at the core kind, right? Yeah. And want to do the right thing. But I disagree that everyone was meant to be a parent. Yeah. You know, and absolutely. I think that that's a, a huge missing piece that society taught us, like especially women, that, you know, you need to find a man to take care of you and have a family. And that's really not, shouldn't be the path for everyone. Right. I mean, uh, especially people that know that they don't want children and subsequently are emotionally unavailable for them right. as a result of that. Yeah, that's true. And that's um, sort of like in a, a Western American um, dream, which is, you know, people feel like they've arrived to that ultimate place of, I guess, settling down and con contentment with realities when they have the family, mm -hmm. when they have the house. And those are things definitely to strive for, but I agree with you. There aren't a whole, there, there aren't, there are, there are lots of people that just don't fall in line with that. Right. And that's okay. Yeah. And that, I think, mo I think a lot of people don't realize that it's okay. So there's a lot of guilt and I think shame that people um, put themselves through think, knowing yeah. that they can't fill those shoes. Yeah. Especially, especially for women, because we're biologically, you know, built to procreate and have children, right? Yeah. And when you're going against nature, yeah, and and your mind and your heart is saying like, mm, maybe this isn't a good thing. Like, yeah. Maybe you're not ready for this, right? Yeah. yeah, and then going against society as well, telling you that you're less of a woman or you don't understand real love because you've never um, had a child. And right. I don't believe that that's necessarily true either. Yeah. Yeah, so there's all types of sort of like cultural standards that we try to abide by, which is, you know, when a couple finally gets together, automatically the goal is um, progressing, mm -hmm. right? From yeah. dating into being in a relationship. And then you start going into those like really fundamental things, which right. is getting a house and having children. Yeah. Uh, but I think that we're, we're getting to an age now where um, that sort of American dream is kind of falling apart. And right. with good reason in some sense, because... Um, one, it's not financially viable for lots of people to have children. Yeah. 
And yeah, let's start there. And start about start with yeah. insurmountable amounts of debt from school. Yeah. And you know, a pandemic and not being able to get a job. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of things that That's true. I'm seeing a lot more people walking dogs on the streets. And I actually went to this uh, pet store opening a while back uh-huh. and uh, seeing the way that people um, sort of like hung out with their dogs was mm-hmm. almost looked like children. They might as well have been. So I asked 100%. them, yeah. I asked them, you know, like they talked to them a little bit more about their dogs and they said that it's the best alternative to children, mm-hmm. you know, because they cost less and, you know, the... The, 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 the amount of time and there's just there's so many things worked into it. One thing that I gathered from that is that people, it almost seems, it doesn't seem practical for a lot of people nowadays. Now right. I'm not saying that people shouldn't have kids, but it shouldn't be the standard, right? you know? And um, just like you said, there are people that are just hardwired to not go down that path and that's okay. So yeah. when we're talking about toxic family members, these are people that probably maybe shouldn't have had children mm-hmm. or they didn't have the emotional awareness to be a good sort of like representation of what a decent human being would be. Yeah. And uh, you know, a, a, in the old days, you were having kids at a really, really young age. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't imagine having three kids at 19 like my dad did. Mm-hmm. I mean, that sounds like the worst idea ever. Yeah. But, um, you know, kids don't come with a handbook and it's so hard to raise them and it's a 24-hour job. It's not right. like you can, you know, like with a dog that you can have just leave them for a couple hours on their own right. and come back later. Like it doesn't work like that with kids. Yeah. It's just a 24 hour responsibility. Yeah. And I think that's uh, a lot of that has to do with why millennial culture um, became a thing, yeah. which it kind of came as a result of, of parents not having the time to raise their kids. Yep. And so you in, inadvertently created a really independent, ra- radically independent child yeah. that sort of paved the way for himself. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, but from my own experience, when it came to emotionally unavailable parents is that, you know, I always wanted my father to be happy. Right. And I, I think deep down, every child wants to be accepted by their parent. Oh, totally. You yeah. know, and uh, that was one thing that I wasn't able to get. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was going through his own journey. And there are lots of things that prevented him from really loving another person. Yeah. And at the time when you're a kid, you don't understand that. Like no, you, don't you don't understand what they're going through. Yeah. And so you're only just you know, experiencing life at a certain way, you understand what love is, but you don't understand all the nuances of why this person may be behaving this way. So there's this party that feels not accepted. Oh yeah. Especially if there's drugs and alcohol involved. Right. Because as a kid, you don't really, you don't really know the effects of that. Right. And drugs, like most of the time when you're really young, you don't know anything about drugs. Right. So that's a really confusing message that you're getting from your parent. Yeah. And if you do if you find out- a parent that's an addict. Right. And if you do find out about drugs, it's absolutely worst case scenario. Yeah. Right? There's absolutely. This, the one thing that I, I noticed that I translated a lot of that negative behavior as is there was something wrong with me. Mm-hmm. Like, because right. my father wasn't happy, it must have been because of something that I was doing. Right. Because if their behavior is getting mad at you or upset at you over just Mm -hmm. practical things, Mm -hmm. he could be responding from something that happens to be hurting him, perhaps maybe, you know, his heart being broken from losing my mom. But in that, in in that is directed over to me, I don't understand that whole dynamic. The only thing that I'm feeling is the intensity of his words. Right. And all of a sudden I, feel like there's something wrong with me. Right. So we're going to this process of always seeking approval and, and how this I think corresponds with when we get older is I found myself being more attracted to women that had that same type of dynamic, mm-hmm. you know, 
and you don't not know necessarily that right the addiction, but more the uh, the lack of empathy and the lack of emotional connectedness. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and you don't you don't know that growing up, and you go through this process of of uh, meeting up with these 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 type of personalities and, and given they weren't all bad there are good elements to every relationship that you have oh for sure but those fundamental values and those boundaries um, not having been respected um, those are things that become wildly more uh, apparent and become things as you get older that you can't avoid yeah you know what i mean and so i found myself um going after women that had more alpha types of personalities that had more i would say divine masculine wounds yeah there was something that they had experienced in their childhood that sort of caused them to either dislike men or even dislike themselves. They ultimately like weren't happy. Yeah. So what I found myself doing is is trying to make them happy. Yeah. Trying to, <laughs> and and I didn't yeah. I didn't find out find this out until much later, but I was trying to in a lot of ways gain the approval and the validation that my father never gave me mm-hmm. from this person. Right. And. Um, that is a losing battle because yes, it, is. it, it isn't our responsibility to try and fix these people or try and even get validation from them. Mm-hmm. It kind of brings it back to this whole question of self-love, yeah. which is if you're uh, comfortable with who you are and you're confident in who you are, then it won't be so detrimental that somebody else approves of you. Yeah. But at the same time, you'll probably do a little bit more due diligence in finding somebody that is good for you because the way that you love yourself is directly corresponds with how you go about finding a healthy partner. Right. And I think it's really hard when people are in these toxic relationships because not not just because of their love for that person um, and the trauma bond that they have with this person, which keeps them kind of circling the drain in this toxic relationship, but... I think I think it's it's more that these people also have a hard time of seeing the big picture, mm-hmm. you know, and and kind of turning around and pointing the finger at yourself and saying, okay, what is it that I'm doing to attract this kind of person? And um, it's hard. It's hard to have that self awareness and and self actualization that you're that you're choosing this life. Yeah. What do you mean, like the big picture? Like their emotional awareness is just an, is is on maybe a very specific thing, and they can't see the whole. Right, right. They can only see what's in front of them. They can't see the entire picture of what's happening. Yeah. You know, as the as the red flags are popping up, they're yeah. seeing them one at a time. They're not seeing them as a whole. Yeah, and if you you know haven't cultivated that self love, and you try and reach out for it with somebody else, it's crazy the amount of things that you'll do. And the amount of things that you'll sacrifice, even from your own happiness, in order to make this person happy, and not ever getting it. Yeah. Um, it's it's a really chaotic sort of thing, and one thing that's dangerous about that is once you go into these patterns long enough, it becomes a behavior. It does. It, it, and that isn't even just from the spiritual perspective. Like your entire body, your neuro, your neurochemistry, your reward mm-hmm. centers in your brain, or you're wiring your brain in order to. Uh, respond to something this intense. Yeah. And from my experience, it's not really healthy, although some people like the intensity of a toxic relationship because the pendulum's always swinging to adrenaline mm-hmm. and it's always swinging backwards the other direction into pure, unbelievable bliss. But you would think that it's a good thing. But from my experience, I think the most healthy option is to kind of remain in the middle because what happens is 
your body, you can risk burnout. Like your, your neurons aren't meant to fire that intensely. Right. And at the same time, you will start recognizing that as a tangible reality and you be, can become comfortable with toxicity. Oh yeah, absolutely. Your you body know, becomes conditioned to those effects. To those effects. And it's, it's hard um, when you're so attached to somebody else in order to, to, to see that. You can, you're, it's so easy for the ego to translate really good sex as love. Oh, man. And that's what they say, that the crazy ones are always the best in bed. Yeah. yeah. And they are. I'd agree. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> that's and, been my experience. Yeah. And it's been my experience as well. Yeah. And, and there's, just, there's just something about it. I think what it, what it could also point to is maybe in regular everyday life with this person, you don't get their approval, mm -hmm. right? So you're going through this battle of trying to get this person to just love you in the way that you've romanticized in your mind that they should love you. And then some people have that little small bit of time when they're in bed yeah. where that love and that sex that you're getting from this other person feels like that validation. Yeah, it does. And it's not. Yeah. <laughs> right. And we can convince ourselves Certainly for not. a long time that it is. Yeah. You and know, this kind of makes, makes me think of um, Sequoia. Remember when she was talking about how when, when you have um, sex with another person, that their DNA could stay in your body sometimes, you know, for years. Oh, yeah. And um, I'd never heard that before. But the uh, it's kind of interesting whenever you have these crazy people in your life and these toxic relationships and then you're having sex and you're holding that crazy DNA in your body for yeah. <laughs> who knows how long. And it, it's so, true. I don't know. I just thought of, just yeah. thought of that. It, it totally makes sense. And, and even your all your neurochemistry is wired to respond to this person. You know, mm -hmm. like, for example, if I go and hang out with my family, it's a very sort of neutral, a very pleasant, very calming energy to be around. Mm -hmm. And my neurons and my entire body, my heart, my breathing are wired around that process. Right. And so you, that's why I feel like a lot of people feel that sense of calm and connection and just mm -hmm. safe and security. Yeah. And that is the one thing that most toxic relationships don't have. Mm -hmm. When you're with them, you feel this acceleration of like, cortisol and adrenaline yeah. flying through your veins yeah and so you're always in this flight or fight sort of panic mode and you never feel safe yeah all those stress hormones you just constantly feel stressed yeah you never feel protected yeah and i think the way that the human body is wired is that um and i think even maslow's hierarchy of basic needs or it's like you can't start asking the real fundamental questions and you can't really embody um that spiritual journey if your chakras are being blocked at the fucking root yeah which it's is true. your survival. Yeah. If you don't feel um, safe, then you'll never ever be able to reach deep into your heart and start with that expansion. Mm -hmm. Those sort of different spiritual themes that we talk about. But yeah. on the upside of that is a bad relationship or a toxic relationship can be the perfect catalyst for somebody to awaken to their divinity. Oh, 100%. Um, or it could be a, a catalyst for change, a like complete change in your life. I mean, mm -hmm. I've had relationships that, that totally set me on a different path. Right. Absolutely. Rumi has this quote that says, you have to keep breaking your heart until it opens. Yeah. And that's a great quote. I it, love that one. Yeah. It's, and it's so true mm -hmm. um, because sometimes it takes a, a, a trauma that shakes you out of your sleep and it becomes, you know, like we talked a lot about with the gem goddess, which is the tower yeah. card for your life. Mm -hmm. And it seems really scary at first because the one thing that I notice about humans is that they're very comfortable with what's familiar. Yeah. But there's a really big difference between um, 
normal and, you know, familiar Mm -hmm. Um, because what we deem as normal a lot of the time is subjective. Like we will ignore a lot of things and call it normal. And then familiar is something that I think we find, it's like our emotional self finds safety in, but our spirit is like suffering. I know what I mean. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I think the the hardest part that people experience is this unwillingness to change because if you were to acknowledge that a relationship is toxic, then not only do you have to disconnect from this person, but you also have to make the active decision to change your own behavior, which is right. developing a stronger sense of self mm-hmm. that can't be... And healthier patterns. And healthier patterns. Yeah. And it all starts with... Uh, you know, healthy boundaries. And and there's also a sense of failure too. You know, anytime you're in, in a relationship, whether it's toxic or not, whenever it ends and, you know, usually it ends poorly, that it, that elicits a huge sense of failure on on both parties. Yeah. Like not, not just yourself. Yeah. And that's the one thing that I, I, I know um, from my experience is that once we feel something that traumatic, we never want to experience again. Oh, yeah. And nobody wants to hurt. Yeah, nobody nobody wants to hurt. Like nobody wants to hurt. So, you know, like I I, I acknowledge that a lot of that came as a result of not loving myself. Yeah. You know, and one thing that I also know is that like Osho talks a lot about, well, he had a quote that said that like, you know, if you love somebody, you have to love them fully and completely, wholly as a person. Mm-hmm. If you try and seek to change your partner, it's almost the same as saying that you only like half of them. Yeah. Whereas one half of them you don't like, and there's another half that you do. Yeah. And chances are, if that's how you see your partner, it's likely how you see yourself as well. And I see, and I see that so much people that get into relationships and fixing relationships like, yeah. oh, you know, this person's wounded. I can help them, you yeah. know, or vice versa. Like I'm wounded and this person seems really strong. Let yeah. me latch on to them right. to try to boost my energy. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's an innocent component to that, which is there's that good part of you that wants somebody yeah. to be better. Oh, for sure. And yeah. I, I think that is the spirit inside of you that, that is the healer. Yeah. That, that wants to help somebody else. But what happens when you do that? Um, you're changing the person that they are. Right. And people need room to grow and to grow into their own person and have those experiences for themselves. Even if you want to, you can't, you can't pass on your own experiences. People have to live them themselves and yeah. make their own decisions. Yeah. And it, that's really hard. I mean, that's... And probably one of the most common relationship mistakes is getting into a relationship to change a person. Right. There's just no such thing. Yeah, I agree with you. And you also risk them resenting you. Oh, 100%. There's a lot of people that I know where it's like, okay, I'm going to change into how you want me. Mm -hmm. Once they get to that point, they just lose respect for their partner because deep down they know that they're not being accepted. Right. And if you have these ultimatums and these conditions that you set for your partner, obviously there's that deeper side of them that knows that you don't love them fully. Right. And Osho also has this quote that says, you know, um, if, if relationships are like a flower, if you love a flower, don't pick, pick it up. Because mm-hmm. if you pick it up, it dies and ceases to be what you love. Right. Love isn't about possession, it's about appreciation. Right. And that's the thing. A lot of people see relationships as an obligation. Mm-hmm. They forget that it is a choice. Yeah. And you can decide to leave and stay whenever you'd want. Mm-hmm. 
Right. But a lot of people, especially in toxic relationships, there's this reluctance for them to leave because mm -hmm. there's so much of themselves identified with this other person yeah. that they can't do it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and sometimes people don't leave because they don't, it's, it's not just the fear. It's almost like an addiction. Right. It's like, I don't know who I am and I can't recognize myself away from this person. Right. And that's so dangerous too. Yeah. It, it's so dangerous because that, that to me like represents like a full integration of two people into one, which you, as spiritually, it makes sense, but you have to go through the right doors. You never want to lose yourself right. in a relationship. And that's one thing that happens for a lot of people, uh, especially when they decide to move in, is that like you're, you're choosing to collaborate and it's hard for you to, to sometimes not get lost into it because when you're sharing intimacy for so long, after a certain period of time, you'll notice that your beliefs will start to be the beliefs of your partner. The mm -hmm. things that you like will start to be the things that your other partner likes. Yeah. And while it is does seem good to have a lot in common, there also has to be contrast. And if you don't have enough contrast, then the relationship at times will fizzle out. Oh yeah. You know. Yeah, I think it's important also to keep your friends. And mm -hmm. I, this is a huge mistake that people make in relationships. They kind of cut off their friend group yeah. and uh, and just spend all their time with their partner. And I, right. I understand whenever you're in a new relationship, especially that you wanna spend all your time with this person and get to know them. But when you alienate your friends, you're alienating your support system because your partner cannot be the person that you go to with every single thought that you have. That's true. Because if you do that, the relationship will change and it's gonna change from being lovers to being friends or to being in like this, you know, a uh, parent-child relationship, right. which is also really, really gnarly. Yeah, it sucks the it sucks the romance right out of the relationship. Sure does. And so it, you it, have to keep your friends. Yeah, and it isn't a selfish thing to want to feel sexually attracted to your partner. No, but that's the one thing that I think kills that dynamic. Is you know, whenever you have a partner that is helping you solve your issues, especially if you're a man, and in a, also a woman, it's. There's something that it, that about that that speaks to their unwillingness to work on themselves mm -hmm. shows a weakness. Yeah. Right. You want to you want to feel that your partner is strong. Yeah. That's that's a big part of attraction. Oh, for sure. Is is wanting to know that you can count on that man to protect you. Mm -hmm. And the same thing, vice versa, with a woman. You need you have to be able to count on like her being emotionally open and receptive to you. So it has to be this equal distribution of energy. Yeah. And I think that's a, a really key component, which is there has to be an equal understanding of what the objective and the goal is. And if you have that, then the energy circulates back and forth in a really healthy, cohesive way. Now with toxic relationships, you have one person distributing all the energy and yeah. especially toxic people, not giving it back to you, but taking it. Taking it, yeah, exactly. Taking it completely from you. Yeah, you... In a relationship, it takes two people and both people have to participate and both people have to give equally and yeah. take equally. Yeah. And, you know, when it's when it's very uneven and sometimes it'll be, you'll be taking a little bit more than you're giving and then vice versa with your partner, right? Um, but it can't be so much where only one person is working in the relationship and the other person isn't doing shit. Yeah. Like that that doesn't work. Yeah, then you have like almost like a uh, an emotional, like an energetic sort of vampire situation 100%, where all they're yeah. doing is taking your energy mm -hmm. and not giving you that equal amount of love back. Yeah. And all of a sudden you f feel like this person is taking from you. Yeah. And you feel like this person is sucking the life out of you. 
and speaking to what you were talking about, about friends, it's so important, like Jen said, to maintain that relationship with your friends. One, because those friends were likely there before she was or he was. Oh, yeah. And they, you know, I imagine most people have good friends and healthy friends and those friends become really health, healthy mirrors that point you in the direction of who you know that you are and they reflect back to you the strongest aspects of who you are. Yeah. And sometimes you could lose that. Yeah. If you are especially in a toxic relationship and you lose your connection with your friends. Mm-hmm. So the capacity, uh, our capacity to love is dependent on, I think, collectively our capacity to actually be alone. Oh with yeah. Ourselves. Yeah. No, I, I would a hundred percent agree with that. And you know, to add a little bit more to the friends, your partner does not need to know every single thing that goes in your brain. Yeah. They don't need to know that. Mm-hmm. And it's it's very interesting to me when I see couples just tell tell each other every single thing, everything that they're feeling all the time. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, no, no. Can that you save that shit for your friends so right. your friend can tell you, hey, you know, maybe cool out a little. You're acting a little crazy. Right. You know, you kind of need that buffer. Yeah. And you want your partner to see the best side of you. It's not that you want to hide it, anything from them, but it's nice to have a sensor and it's nice to have a third party and somebody that really knows you well right. that can kind of keep you in check if you're getting a little crazy. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you want to keep that mystery in the relationship. You want to try the best that you can to not share every single, I mean, you can share and be open and vulnerable with your partner. Right. Yeah. Right. But the second you start going to your partner to try and solve your issues right. that you need to work on yourself, mm-hmm. that is where I think becomes dangerous. And that's where you risk, you know, losing that attraction for your person. Yeah. And you know, if there's no sex, there's no relationship, right? You know, at that point, your partner becomes your roommate, right. and that's a that's a whole nother podcast on yeah on uh, the slow death of yeah. non sex relationships. Oh yeah, it's like that Ryan Gosling in Blue Velvet, where you know you had a relationship that once thrived, and then they went through all the shit that you're talking about, and you just slowly started to see it wither away. Yeah, like I acknowledge that when you enter into a relationship, you're essentially creating another aspect and avatar of yourself. And I think um, the best way to calculate all these things that we're talking about, Jen, is emotional awareness, mm-hmm. which is being aware of who you are with this person, This person being mm-hmm. aware of who you are when you're with your friends, yeah. being aware of who you are when you, you know, engage in hobbies and, and things that make you feel good. And you really have to juggle all of those things mm-hmm. because all those things uh, fundamentally are, are who you are. And... You know, it's so important, I think, to have, like you say, that buffer and to have those other things to help you, help you always remind you of who you are, aside of that person. Right. Because you have to have, at the end of the day, I think when you make a decision to be with somebody, you have to have, you know, a reason for that other person. There's a reason why that other person fell in love with you. Exactly. And yeah. In the beginning, that that reason is very clear. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And Marion Williamson has this quote. It's not a quote, but it was actually a conversation that I I remember hearing her when she was talking about sacred partnerships, which is at the very beginning of a relationship, a lot of people see the honeymoon phase as a temporary situation, Mm -hmm. a temporary turn of events. Everybody, for the most part, I think in our Western world, even just all over the world, sees the honeymoon phase as something that eventually will die out. Yeah. But, and then after that honeymoon phase is over, 
a lot of people believe that like the problems happen, mm -hmm. the romance dies away, you're having to succumb to regular everyday life. But Marion Williamson, and she references The Course in Miracles, she actually says that at the very beginning stage of a relationship is who you actually really are. Mm -hmm. That honeymoon stage is when you and that person are being radically honest and open and, and completely sincere with who you are yeah. in how you correspond with this person. And then what happens is once that starts to sort of wither away and it only withers away because our shadows, our projections, mm -hmm. everything we want our other partner to be and they're not start to come into the field. Yeah. You spend enough time with somebody and you get a feel for who they are. Yeah. Instead of accepting them and practicing that acceptance, we start formulating in our mind, and this is why the ego is so strong, is that it's always trying to figure out how to solve the problem. Yeah. When there really should just be acceptance. Yeah. And then you figure out new things about your partner too, what makes them tick. Yeah. You know, what irritates them, what makes them happy. And, um, and that's a process of learning. You right. know, there's things that I do that I know drives Jeremy crazy. Yeah. And um, there's one thing that I do that I didn't know that drives him crazy until recently. Because <laughs> he never said anything, yeah. you know? He doesn't, he doesn't like the um, sound of me eating. Like, because oh, I, yeah, and I don't chew with my mouth open or anything, <laughs> but I have really big down. teeth. Um, so whenever, whenever I'm it's chopping I'm, away, yeah, whenever I'm eating, you well, know, it makes a peaceful meal. Yeah. It makes noise, even though I, my mouth is closed <laughs> and he'll just, he just looks at me and before, and I don't know if it's just because we've been together for so long now yeah. that, uh, you know, those little things just start to irritate you. Yeah. Um, but he was like, you know, it just, it really bothers me whenever you eat loud. And I was like, well, and he goes, and I know you can't do anything about it. <laughs> do, you lean, like, <laughs> do you lean into his ear and just do it louder? You're like, <laughs> no, no, I don't. But, so here's what I think of that. But I'll try not to eat like chips or anything that's super loud around him. Cause I know, I know it's annoying, but you know what I don't like is the sound of um, people's teeth dragging across the fork. Across the fork? Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. when you eat and yeah. your teeth drag and then it makes that like kind of chalkboard it's, sound. It's interesting how those little things, Ooh. everybody has their little things. Like Yikes. for me, it's like when somebody rubs on a balloon. Oh, I hate that too. It's the worst, right? Ooh, There's just that. something about it. But I can, yeah. I can get down with, I mean, not that I would want to, but you know, nails on a chalkboard, it doesn't bother me. Yeah. But the whole rubbing the balloon thing, Ugh. there's just something Ugh. inside of me that just has to run in the other direction because it's crazy. Yeah. But stuff like that, right? And that's where the compromise really comes into play. We have to acknowledge the fact that we've spent upwards of 30 plus years without that person in our lives. Mm -hmm. And up until that point, we've been doing our own thing. Yeah. We've been, in, you know, doing our hobbies. We've been working, focusing on our career, focusing on ourselves. And then when somebody comes into the field and we try and collaborate with them, we have to expect that there's going to be some adjustments that need to be made. Yeah. Because they aren't automatically going to just fit within this sort of box that you place them in. Right. But a lot of people think that that's how it works. Yeah, no, and that's not how it works. <laughs> you know, like I, I've lived with people where it's like the, you know, the first week or months where you're like living with them, it's like those things come up and you're just like, well, and they are just non-negotiables. Yeah. You know? And there's a huge difference between making adjustments and accommodations for a person and compromising yeah. um, to completely changing who you are yeah. and, you know, compromising your value system and who you are as a person. Right. Um, and I definitely experienced that. Have you ever experienced that in a relationship? Which is that? 
um, just being with somebody where you found yourself to be a different person. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I, I, from my experience that that came as a result of me, um, having this sort of like walking on eggshells, like I knew that they wouldn't accept certain aspects of my behavior, even though it wasn't that they were bad. Right. It's just a lot of people have very, very stern sort of requirements, like have yeah. very, almost in some ways, unreasonable requirements. Unreasonable. Yeah. And you know that, you know, by, you know, like, not clearing off your plate or not taking out the trash at a specific time after they've told you to do it. You know, there are just unreasonable things that some people have sometimes. Yeah. And um, I think that's where it kind of uh, came into the field for me, which is uh, this feeling that like you couldn't be yourself even emotionally. Mm -hmm. There are things that I, I sometimes felt like I wasn't able to actually share with my partner out of fear that they would judge Oh yeah. And that's not a good place, you know? Yeah. And, and you know, I, I do feel that you should feel comfortable enough to be vulnerable to any degree that you want, mm -hmm. but you also have to exercise discretion as to what you decide to share with your partner. Right. You know, and yeah, I think you have that to pick your battles, everything you can't battle. be a, a serious conversation, you know, right. because when it's that, and then there's no fun and there's no, lightheartedness in the relationship that that will kill a relationship too yeah you can and especially those conversations all the time yeah like you got to balance it out oh for sure you yeah. know it is it, it's like it's it's something that requires nurturing and something that requires like a just a constant everyday dedication to yeah it's like a plant yeah you know like plant. you <laughs> water your plant and then it grows mm -hmm. and it thrives and that the, the extent from which it actually grows just completely depends on how much you show up for it. Yeah. Unless um, it's an orchid or a fiddle fig, those things are hard as shit to keep alive. An orchid? Yeah, orchids are hard to keep alive. They're beautiful in the beginning, though. I know, they are. They're so pretty. You know? Have you ever successfully kept an orchid alive? I've kept it alive for a while. Oh, yeah? Yeah. That's impressive. What was your trick? Um, well, no, I, I kept it, well, I think I gave it enough light and enough sunshine and not too much water. And you can't move them. Yeah. They gotta but, be stationary. But eventually it bit the dust and I lost the battle with that one. But yeah. you know. They're tough. Somebody told me that if you put an ice cube in it once a day, that that's all the water that they need. Really? Mm -hmm. I but didn't realize until much later that like you could overwater a plant. Oh yeah. It's oh, such a yeah. crazy thing. Oh, you man, think yeah, that like you can kill it in a with a quickness overwatering it. Yeah, it's yeah. crazy. You know, everybody everybody needs a a, a plant or uh, so I'm gonna equate it to a relationship. Everybody needs to find their pathos. Because those plants, <laughs> I know I have a huge one. Yeah, in the kitchen. They just completely grow. I mean, they 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 make you feel like you really know how to take care of plants. I know, right? You know, oh, because you just best. put in a little bit of water and the shit just fucking grows just all sprouts. over the place. It's like a weed. Yeah, I know. and you're just like a beautiful weed. Yeah, and you're just like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm, look, look what at I me. did. <laughs> look at me and my green thumb. You know, yeah, that's funny. Yeah, so yeah, it does give me a a false sense of my green thumb. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not like super great with plants. I'm, I'm. My mom was really good with plants, but I didn't inherit that. Even no. though we have a lot of plants, and somehow they're all alive. But I'm selective. I need indoor plants that don't require a lot of maintenance. Yeah, because I just don't have that much love to give. Yeah, and pathos are the best ones. They are. Yeah, you know, everyone needs He's to thriving. find. Yeah, everyone needs to find their pathos because even when you're not there, they're still fucking growing. Yeah, you know. But what we're talking about, though, kind of on a serious note, is is is. Uh, chemistry versus compatibility yeah and those are two things that for a lot of people don't go together 
mm-hmm. right? Because I've been in relationships where that chemistry was strong. Yeah. Right? Yes. Where it's like you look at each other and, I don't know about you, but like I got into situations where like you look at them and then you're just staring at each other. Yeah. I remember when I was younger and I had a the girlfriend at the time and we went to dinner with my family and my sister was sitting right next to me. And me and this person, like she was so beautiful and, and I was so attracted to her and she felt the exact same way about me. We just sat there and we went through this situation so many times where we sat there and we just stared at each other. Yeah. And the whole just thinking the whole time, I'm like, man, you were so fucking gorgeous. And she was thinking like the exact same thing. And I remember my sister to the side, she's just like, what is going on here? Yeah. She's like, <laughs> is that what you guys just do all day? Just stare, stare at each, each other? other? <laughs> I'm like, leave it up to the sister, but yeah, you know, to point out the facts, right? Yeah. You're like, and you don't have shit in common. Yeah. Ice cream and fucking that's ice, it. <laughs> ice cream and fucking. <laughs> exactly. Both of those things combined simultaneously at the same time. Yeah. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> ice cream and fucking, but you know, there was an attraction that I had to that, to this person mm-hmm. that was undeniable yeah. and, and it was so strong. And that was one of the hardest relationships because I was combating the chemistry that I had yeah. with compatibility. Oh yeah. Um, oh man. I can't know. tell you that actually before I met my husband, I was hanging out with this guy and um, the chemistry was there. Like, and the attraction was there for both of us, but we didn't have a motherfucking thing in common. <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> like, no, we just, we didn't, you know? Yeah. Um, and I knew it wasn't going to work, but it was really hard to let go of. You know, uh, nothing because in common. It, you got to have some stuff. I mean, some stuff, but it was like, no, this would never work. Like yeah. we are from two different planets right. and we, you know, no, our, our lives are way too different. There's no way that we could have like intermingled a yeah. life together, even though we had like some mutual friends, it was still, we were just yeah. way too different. And you start getting desperate and you just ask, you just straight up ask them. We're like, Hey, you like sex? They're like, yeah. You're like, Hey, you like ice cream? And they're like, yeah. All right. We have stuff in common. Right. Let's exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's you know? funny. But it, it especially um, nowadays, or maybe it's just because I'm getting older, the compatibility piece is so important. It's so so let me important. define compatibility, which is it's it, it it's hard for me to say this because a lot of people may misinterpret this, is your financial stability is an important part oh, man. of how you it's love huge. somebody in this life. It it's especially huge for men because that uh, men how do I say this? Okay. So uh, it's such an important part of being a man because you're raised to be a provider and, you know, you look at your father as a provider as you're growing up and, and it's just like a societal thing that right. you need to be a provider. So yeah. men equate their self-worth with how much money they make or how successful they are at work. Mm. If they're not making money, if they don't have a job, if they don't feel successful in their own right and whatever it is that they're doing, um, they are not capable of having a relationship with a woman. Yeah. And it's it's bizarre how that works. But um, just think about people in your life or that maybe, well, all the ladies out there listening, think about men that you've tried to date in, in your life that you really cared for, that were, you know, kind of struggling financially and how detached they were from you. Right. And it's because they're just not capable of doing both things. They're not capable of having a relationship and going through that kind of struggle. Right. I agree with you. And I think chemistry has a lot to do with that. Like men intrinsically, like there are biological energies that move through men that make them just instinctually want to be the protector Mm -hmm. and wanting to, you know, be the hunter gatherers, Yeah, you know, and history is, you know, paves the way for that understanding. 
and uh, at least from my own experience there's just there's there's something in me that that wants to be that protector and wants to be that provider so if you can't provide financially mm-hmm. um, for yourself then chances are you won't be able to take on a relationship with another person that involves that right you know what i mean yeah, so absolutely. that compatibility piece one is is the financial aspect of it oh yeah and Huge. of course that isn't the main aspect of it because but you could still have a spiritual relationship with somebody but there is this 3d aspect that you know until jesus comes back or right. until the aliens come and snatch everybody up and uh, where we have to in, in all practicality you know move into that and include that as a part of how things work because yeah you want to be able to get to a place where you can live with them and mm-hmm. live in a healthy stable environment with them and from my experience too when you don't have a partner that meets you at that level you run into a lot of problems mm-hmm. you know you run into a lot of problems and, and that's the thing it, it sucks to say but money can destroy a relationship oh it totally can and it can destroy a relationship both ways lack of and too much of yeah you know so it goes both ways because i've seen i i've had guy friends that were not successful in really healthy good relationships and then um uh started doing really well in business and started making an excess of money and then that with that excess of money came more opportunity, right? Mm-hmm. Because now other women that are maybe like a little bit hotter than their partner yeah. are starting to give them attention because they have, they're dressing nicer. They have a nicer car now. They're, you know, it's opening different doors yeah. that they didn't perceive were open before. Right. So um, with that excess of money, it also kind of changes their mind that, oh, hey, I can do better. Mm-hmm. You know, I can have better. I can have a hotter chick and, you know, more and more and more. Um, and then they find out that it's lonely at the top. Yeah, you know that's true, and that 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 means that that's why it's so important to have shared values and yeah. shared goals. Because you know, I, one thing that I notice about people that get married very young, that get mm-hmm. into relationships very young, is that they're not thinking about how much they're going to change within five to ten years. Oh my god! And especially me, you know, when you're god, in your twenties, recognize myself from twenty years ago. Yeah, when you're in your twenties, you think that's how you're going to be for the rest of your life. Yeah, and you're totally not. And you're not. <laughs> it's and, not even close. And added on to that, you think that you know exactly how life works, especially around that age. Oh yeah, sure, you know everything. You know, I knew everything when I was eighteen. Yeah, and then you get. Just ask me. I would have uh, told you. <laughs> Yeah, everything. And, and then when you get older, like in your 30s, like you realize, you know, if you are being honest and radically authentic with your journey, you realize how much you don't know. Yeah. And how much, when you re- in retrospect, you think about your 20s and you're like, man. I don't know shit. I don't know shit. <laughs> and there is freedom in that. But how it yeah. affects the relationships is I've seen relationships that start at 20 and they grow completely apart Yeah. from each other. Because, and, and this isn't safe for everybody. They're lots of people that I know got married very young and they're in great relationships. But the point, what I'm saying is that you have to be able to be willing to evolve with each other. Mm-hmm. You have to grow together. You have to grow together. Yeah. And the compatibility piece might as well just be translated as how you operate in 3d together, mm-hmm. you know, how you collaborate together. How do you get through difficult emotions? And, you know, I think it's more clearly understood now that a real, uh, the longevity of a relationship is not dependent on how many great moments you have together it's not dependent on how many, you know, you know, how many times you've traveled or how many great experiences that you've had. Relationships, from my experience, what strengthened them and what strengthened them really are how you 
navigate through difficult situations. Mm-hmm. You know, how do you yeah. move through those? Because in those situations, I mean, they penetrate so deeply that there's a certain seriousness to them and you'll throw all of the craziness to the side in order to be your real self. And that may actually be a toxic self. Yeah. So it really depends on how you move through that. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Well, I'm going to change, shift gears a little. I'm going to take you back to when you were, when you're dating. To the old days. To the old days. All right. <laughs> to being blown off. To being blown. Oh. Yeah. Have wow. you ever been ghosted? I have been ghosted. Yeah. I think if you're a guy, you've been ghosted, but I also think women go through it too. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You Actually know? there, there was a statistic that 50% of people um, have been ghosted. 50%? 50%. Holy shit. Did yeah. they go by like gender? Um, it, it male or female, just 50% of people have been ghosted. Really? Ghosted. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if that is, I mean, imagine that's a current statistic, right? Yeah. Cause I feel like ghosting is a lot more prominent now. Well, I, all ghosting is, is the, is the new term for being blown off, you know, like back in our days, whenever we were young and dating, it was, you know, people would just blow you off, but now it's ghosting. Yeah. But it's like so much worse. It is so much worse. And I think the reason why is because we have things like social media platforms and text messages. Exactly. Right. You can go, you know, and have spoken to this person two seconds ago mm-hmm. and they decide to ghost you just automatically out of nowhere. There's something really disorienting about that. Oh, super disorienting. Yeah. And I think it's a product of overdating, you know, overdating, what do overdating. You mean? Um, you know, previously there was, there was another statistic, um, that in 2012 on average, a person went on two to five dates a year. And mm-hmm. now yeah. shit I used, when I was single, I would go on two to five dates a week, yeah. you know, because I was on multiple platforms and meeting different people and like, Hey, I'll meet you for coffee or we'll, you know, go for a hike or do this or that, you know, and that was better going out on dates with random people was to me better than sitting at home by myself. So, um, cause I just didn't, that was at a point in my life where I didn't really know who I was and I wasn't comfortable being alone. I was still trying to figure that out. And I was trying to figure that out through other people. Women have the upper hand when it comes to online dating. Oh. Let me tell you, I have lots of female friends and they're dealing with, you know, 15, 20 matches a day. Okay. 20, 15 to 20 matches a day. And they still can't find the right partner. And I even you asked a friend, I was like, like, for example, just in the contrast to that, most men, even from the friends that I have and even myself, we don't get not even half of that. Yeah. Just for a regular everyday person, you get maybe two or three matches a month mm-hmm. or one or two matches every once in a while. And, you know, all the guys that I know get super excited about those matches. Of course, if they're the right person. But one thing I know about women is they have such an abundance of men trying to reach out to them. Well, there's more men on the dating apps. So yeah. if there's anywhere between... A 20 and 30% more men on a dating app than women. Yeah. And are you ready for some sobering statistics that want some were truth. fucking terrifying? I want some truth. Okay, so I, I got these from The Guardian and they did a survey of t- people with Tinder profiles. Yeah. And, and are you ready? Oh man, this is bad. So 30% of people on Tinder are married. No shit. Are fucking married. Yes. I never believed people when they said that Tinder was just a hooking up app. Yeah. I, from everybody. 30% of people on Tinder are married and only 54% of people on Tinder um, in the survey said that they were actually really single. And then there was another like 12 to 15% 
that um, were people who were in committed relationships. Yeah, that's terrible. It is terrible. But I did notice um, whenever I was out dating, you know, before I was married. And uh, that was something, that was a question that I always asked whenever I was on a date with someone. I'm like, oh, do you have anyone in your life that would be hurt with you being out on a date with me? Uh-huh. And I, that was the nicest way I could say like, Hey, motherfucker, are you married or what? <laughs> Girl, look, punk bitch, tell me the truth. And what kind yeah. of responses did you get from these people? Like, oh, no, no, of course not. You know, and I'm positive, man, I am positive that I went out on, I mean, if these statistics are correct, that I had to have gone out on a date with, with a married man at least 20 times, Yeah, you know, that yeah. I didn't know was married. That's such a scary thought. So scary, right? And it's scary because I also know that that's true because I've known people that that's happened to. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. like our, our phones are very personal to us. Mm-hmm. And in most relationships, the, you know, your partners don't have access to that, but it's so easy to just download the app. Yeah. Partner doesn't have to know about it. Nope. And you can just, you know, swipe all day long until you find somebody. Yeah. And, but I feel like those, those sort of connections are just on the, the fast path to the destruction. Oh, because yeah. in the same way that you have that, so that, that media, those apps at, the, at your fingertips, whoever your partner is, that doesn't know about this is going to find out. Oh, they're going to find out. They're going to find yeah. out. And women have this intuition when it comes to that sort of shit and they'll find out too. Yeah. You know? And absolutely right. It's a, it's a, it's a terrible thing, but yeah, I mean, it, 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 it's hard. The dating scene I think is, is a lot harder now when I think back in comparison to how things were when I was younger. Oh man, it's so much harder. There's so many rules. I mean, and there's so yeah. many unspoken rules. Like, um, fucking text messaging, text message. Yes. Okay. That's a great place you to know start. What I'm saying, or posting a picture on social media, like yeah. of, of you and that person, yeah. you know, that has to be like a proper discussion before you do that. That's true. And I know a lot of people that they'll be in relationships with someone for a year and they still won't share their partner on their Instagram pages. Yeah, what the fuck with that? You know, and, it, and it's hard. It's hard to quantify because everybody's different. Yeah. You know, there are some people that, you know, you'll match with that maybe happen to be Aquariuses or Geminis and they'll just talk your fucking ear off. Mm-hmm. And people that will send you two paragraphs of, you know, text messages. And I love that because I'm a Libra. I love conversations and that whole dynamic of connecting through with somebody that you love that has the potential of being your love is seems like a great thing to me. Mm-hmm. But then you meet other people that have this sort of requirement that's like, okay, you send somebody, they send you a sentence and then you respond with a paragraph. All of a sudden you're the creep yeah. and then you get ghosted. Right. And I know a lot of people that that happens to. Oh yeah. Oh and, yeah. You know, the worthy, I guess, thing to note or the, I guess the, the, the steps with that is just match the conversation style. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's it, mirroring. The, yeah, mirroring mirror. is like the best, the best technique. Mirroring is the best technique. <laughs> but, you know, I think with the complexity of online dating, I think where people run into disconnection is you can only connect so much with somebody over text message. That's true. And you got to, you have to meet in person. You have to meet in person. And the sooner, the better. And, the sooner, and the better. Yeah. I would not get into these pen pal relationships on the, on these apps, yeah. you know, most of the time, because you just have to feel a person's energy and be in front of them, yeah. you know, to really know if you have a connection with someone or not. But how do how does a guy gain your trust so quickly to where he doesn't become a pen pal and he's direct with you and he says, Hey, would you like to go on a date? There's this aspect that I imagine that women go through, which is, okay, I can go on this date, but I don't want to be potentially kidnapped by this person. Yeah. So you want to exercise some discretion. So what do you have 
as far as advice to well, give i was oh. kind of like a little bit of a stalker so uh -huh. I'd, I'd ask for like their ig and you know whatever and or their facebook so i can see you know what kind of activities they're involved in and who yeah. they hang out with and how often they post and whatever if it's some weirdo that you know hasn't posted in two years or only has three pictures you're like and they're all mm. the same pictures yeah just in a different angle and they're they're from like 20 years ago <laughs> yeah mm, i don't know you know yeah. not gonna meet that guy yeah. uh, to go on a hike yeah, yeah. no thanks and that's true. That's true. Like I, I even know on some of these dating apps, they actually have in some of the recommended tips, which is, you know, don't be afraid to ask for their IG. No, you don't. Know? Yeah, definitely not. Definitely and, not. I think that that's the best way to, um, cause you're able to see their friends too, yeah. you know, and if they're in photos with other people and they're tagged in photos, then, you know, you know, it's authentic and right. they're not some weirdo. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it's hard. It's hard. You can never know when you're going to get ghosted oh by i don't know i think there's i think there's signs you know like if one person is if you're the one that's always texting and it takes them a really long time to text back or you know they're always really busy or mm. you're about to get ghosted right or if you know uh friends that's back to the friends thing this is always so important right yeah. if you um if you never meet their friends if they never bring you around their friends and I think that there's a vulnerability to having a new partner meet your friends because oh, yeah. you are your authentic self around your friends right? and they're going to see a side of you that maybe, you know, they didn't see before. And your friends know you exactly how you are and your friends will know if you're acting different. Yeah. And they'll call you out on that shit. Yeah. And they'll call you out on that shit. Absolutely. 100%. <laughs> so I know. definitely think there's some signs, right? Yeah, there's definitely signs. And yeah. I think it just comes down to, you know, emotional awareness and just reading the energy. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of the people that get ghosted um, come off too strong because one, there's also that sense of desperation that really nobody wants to engage in. Oh, 100%. You know, when somebody's being desperate. Oh yeah. And, and you know, to play devil's advocate, you know, the ghoster is not always the bad guy. You know, right. it is sometimes, sometimes the problem's you, Yeah. you know, and you're coming on too strong or, um, or you just don't make them feel comfortable. Right. So like the, maybe you're maybe you're a little too bossy. Maybe you yeah. come across as a person that doesn't listen yeah. and they feel like they don't feel bonded to you, so they don't feel like they owe you anything. Right. That brings up another question for me, which is I understand why people ghost, but is there a more decent humanitarian way Hell of yes, getting your is. point across? Yes. Right? Be a, a fucking adult and be like, yo. Right. Thanks for the time that we spent together, but you know, I'm I'm just really, I I'm not interested in pursuing a relationship. Yeah, and I I I 100% agree with that, and I think that's the closure that anybody needs, mm -hmm. right? Despite only having spoken to maybe this person for two or three days, there's this you know deeper sort of like in a, even from a spiritual dimension, they are also investing their energy, and when you completely block that off from them with no closure mm -hmm. um, that can hurt somebody and especially people who already have issues with abandonment right and then you are you know tapping into emotional realm especially if you've already had a sexual relationship with this with yeah. this person mm -hmm. and then to ghost them after that like oh, it's yeah. just another form of abandonment yeah. and you know a lot of people feel betrayed or disrespected um it makes you feel like uh, like you're not worthy and you're yeah. not worthy of this person's attention. Right. Um, all those different scenarios yeah. because you don't have your closure. So all those questions right. come up Yeah. And, you, and a lot of people will beat themselves up trying to figure out what this is. And that will just 
cause chaos on your emotional well-being and your physical well-being. Yeah, 100%. And it, it renders the other person powerless, right? Yeah. And and you really do. I, I think that closure is so important and communication is so important. Yeah. So if you are a person that has been ghosted, have you ever asked the, pers- the person who, who ghosted you in a nice way, like, hey, you know, I realize we're not talking anymore, but, you know, I would I hope to find a relationship one day and I'd just like to know why, you know, I won't be upset. Just why did you ghost me? What happened? I have done that. You have? I have done what that. What kind of response did you get? Um, they're a mixture. Some, some women will respond mm-hmm. and be open. And you get the idea just based off of your conversation with them that, you know, they'll respond in that way. But yeah. then there are some that just cold, ghost. cold as ice. Yeah. Like it doesn't, it doesn't care. Like I understand that it, there's probably also some hurt uh, th- having, having to explain to you why they don't connect with you um, is a vulnerability for them. Oh, hundred percent. Right. And mm-hmm. there's so this, this sort of fear that people go through when it comes to that sort of thing. Um, because while you're going through this kind of rejection, what they're going through is this feeling of having to hurt somebody mm-hmm. and nobody wants to feel that. Nobody wants to do that. You yeah. know? And so it's, it's, you know, take some accountability. It's really important that we let somebody know like why it is that they didn't make the cut, but yeah. also just a compassionate impulse, which is to just share with them why it is that you don't feel it's the right connection. Yeah. For you. Yeah. And I mean, aside from being, compassionate just being like a decent human being yeah, <laughs> like decent that's human just being. like a decent adult thing to do yeah and i think um what really i think it calls for is for people to really start embodying their divine masculine the divine feminine energy 100 percent. you know and a lot of those those uh people that that ghost um regardless of whether or not there are legitimate reasons um there's this 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 fear of vulnerability that everybody or a lot of people seem to have. Yeah. And although that person may ghost you, that person probably also has like a whole score of different other issues that prevent them from really connecting with somebody else. Because if you can just mm-hmm. be that cold to a complete stranger, yeah. chances are you can be that cold with a lot of people that a are in your people. life too. Yeah. It says more about the other person than it says about you. Right. Yeah. And I don't know. I think that whenever you're whenever you're being ghosted and if you actually get that closure and that person who ghosted you actually gives you some constructive feedback. Um, I have seen friends and where I've given this advice and I'm like, just ask him why he ghosted you. You know, it's a good thing to know. It's a good thing to learn from. But uh, the mistake that I've seen made is they ask, they don't get a response. So then they ask again. And then they drive by his house and then they message him on Instagram. And then, you know, I mean, and that's not the solution either. Ask one time. And if you don't get a response, then it's dead. Like it's dead. It's done. Move on with your life. And don't chase a ghost. You know, you don't want to chase ghost and you don't want to obsess over that because what happens is the universe starts to mirror that to you. So then all you're getting is the same type of people. Same type of people. And that all kind of speaks to what we were talking about earlier, which is being completely whole and comfortable with who you are. Because if you're confident in who you are, yeah, then it won't be so detrimental for you to get approval from even people that ghost you. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. they find that the people that have that sort of neediness in their cadence when it comes to that sort of thing, where they're like, "I want to know," or they'll text them and they'll continuously keep texting them, and then they'll kind of essentially stalk them. Right. What that translates to me is they they need they need to know 
they, they need validation. Yeah. They need validation because they themselves are not whole and they themselves are not confident in themselves. Yeah, absolutely. You know? So it's so, it's so important to work on cultivating that sense of self because a relationship shouldn't be a need. It should be a complement to your life. Yeah. And if you, and if you are a person that ghosts people left and right, you know who you are. Yeah. And you know who you are. Yeah. You know who you are. And you know, think about how that affects other people. And it not only does it make you look weak and make you look like a narcissist and like you don't care, yeah. um, but no matter what the reason is, you know, maybe, maybe take some time to think about like, Hey, why am I not able to have a constructive adult emotional conversation? Right. Like why am, why am I avoiding these emotion, these tough emotional discussions? Yeah. You know? Yeah. So. Emotion, I had an epiphany the other day about uh, emotionally unavailable partners because uh, what you see a lot in those games, especially the online dating and just dating in general is like this chase. Yeah. Right. That's the there's, fun part. There's this women that, that women and guys that, there's something about the chase, right? Mm -hmm. And I started thinking of like, well, what is it about the chase that is so compelling? Mm -hmm. And I'm talking about relationships where no matter how hard they try or how much time they invest in the person, that person doesn't slow down for them and, suddenly, and, and, and one day decide that this is the person I wanna be with. They'll give them just enough and then they'll have them continuously chasing them. And I mm -hmm. thought about this. I think the reason why uh, from both sides. Cause one, yeah. you can say that the person that's being chased is emotionally unavailable. Yeah. But at the same side, the one who's chasing is also emotionally unavailable because as long as they are chasing an emotionally unavailable person, then they never have to commit to them. Yep. Exactly. Right. Mm -hmm. So that, that kind of speaks to a fear of commitment. Yeah. Cause if you knew that at some point, you're never going to win with this. You just move on to something else. Yeah. But this whole constant chase, this constant chase reflects, I think, largely your own fear of commitment. Yeah, absolutely. And because once those people finally get with those persons, mm -hmm. like say one day that person decides, okay, you can stop chasing me. I'm going to be in a relationship with you. And then the person gets that relief. All of a sudden, they don't want them anymore. They're over it. Yeah. They're like, oh, I don't want it anymore. Yeah. It's like you weren't committed to begin with. Yeah. You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah, lots of things to learn. So I think one of the main the takeaways win. is to just be compassionate and be loving. Yeah. Work on yourself. Work on yourself, exactly. And work on your communication. Yeah. And be honest. It's so easy. It is so easy to be honest. It's so much easier to be honest than it is to lie. Yeah. One of the most useful tips uh, that I read actually in an article a while back you want to get really get a woman's attention i know this kind of i think it stretches across the board with men too especially at the beginning of a relationship if you want to stand out from the men if you want to stand out from the women fucking call them oh yeah you know don't what i'm text saying them. don't call text them. them old school like once you meet them and you have that initial you know connection with them whether or not it's in person or either through text mm -hmm. do that whole thing for a little bit but then call them yeah and you know the, when people call me for example i mean it, i mean it's it says something about them, but I know yeah. a lot of people that text so much that when somebody calls them, it's like when, you know. They're like, what's the, going on the, with my phone? The, Why is it ringing? Yeah, it's like yeah. the delivery man at your door. You're like, wait. Wait. It's like, you think it's like the FBI or something. You're just like, who's at my door? Did I do something wrong? Like, am I, am I being, you know yeah. what I'm saying? Oh yeah. That's how often people don't be on the phone. But if you call them, all of a sudden, maybe that sort of curiosity comes up and it's like, oh, He's different. Yeah. So brothers, 
sisters, call your partners. Call your partner. Or call the person that you want to date and just be like, hey. Yeah. You know, yeah. when you're a guy, just be confident. You That's know, right. be attentive, be confident. And it'll all work out. It'll all work out. Well, you'll have better chances at least. Yeah, for sure. You know what I mean, Jen? I do know what you mean. Yeah. The wonderful world of online dating, oh, just dating in general. I mean, it's a harder, harder beast these days because we have COVID. You know, and, and there's, yeah, you, we have COVID and there's no way to disappear, right? Like yeah. there's no such thing as disappearing anymore. Yeah. All of your shit is on the open, yeah. on the open, on the internet. All the open. But I, the one thing that I notice about um, relationships now is they're a lot more serious. We're not only just looking for partners now, we're looking for people to, um, you know, help us survive through the end of the world, the end of the world <laughs> and aliens. You need your, yeah. You need someone to hop on that spaceship with. That's right. You know, and we'll find them. We'll have another episode about, you know, alien spaceships, alien spaceships and, you know, how to cultivate a partner that's okay with being abducted. And we'll make it happen. That sounds fun. Yeah. Thank you guys for tuning in to the Divine Nobody's podcast. You can go on our website, divinenobodies.com. You can also go on YouTube. If you're listening to this and you're watching this on YouTube, make sure to like and subscribe. Do all the things. Try and release these episodes every week. And uh, again, Happy New Year. I said it in the last episode, but it's going to be a fantastic new year. It is. And we're going to make it happen with some awesome guests and new topics. Yeah. We're going to make it happen. Namaste, friends. Namaste.